listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. In the iconic words of the late great troubadour Tom Petty, I have a confession to make. Um, I stand before you this morning, your pastor, Jason Day, me, um, and I have to say that, hey, 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 I was born a rebel. I I was born a rebel, if you can't tell by my jacket, like... My mom would have killed me if I wore something like this to church when I was growing up. <laughs> but the truth is, I, I, I sincerely asked my wife, I was born a rebel. And, uh, I, and especially when it came to school, right? Like, I was not a fan of school at all. I had some early experiences because of some learning disabilities that I that I have, um, and, and it tainted school for me in a way, and, and by about fourth or fifth grade, school was clearly something for me that I was just enduring and not thriving in. Anybody ever been there, right? Yeah, woo, all right. Um, and, and so to survive, or at least that's the excuse I used, right, because because I could have changed my attitude and, and, you know, chosen to be a good student. But um, uh, I became the kid that just did not care at all. I didn't care. I didn't care about homework. I didn't care about grades. I didn't care about my attendance. I didn't care about what my teachers thought of me. I just did not care about school at all. Um, uh, now, kids, if you're here listening, like Richie, I, I see you there, okay? So if, if, you're, if you're listening to this, whether you're right here with me or on the podcast, I want you to not be like me. Don't be like me, okay? Care, care about your education because really it's like just because of God's grace that I'm not like dressed in a Statue of Liberty costume shaking a sign for H&R Block. Like that's like, right? Anybody? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like and, and if you don't take your education seriously, your options as an adult become extremely limited. So I, I don't want you to be like me, but my attitude towards school actually got me in quite a bit of trouble. And uh, one time in the eighth grade, I was on a field trip with our class to a botanical garden in Columbus, Ohio. And, and, uh, and so me and my buddy actually met some high school girls at this botanical garden who had a car, and so we decided that it would be more fun if we left with them, left the field trip, and, and, and went to hang out with them. And I, and I got in so much trouble, because not only did the class have to stay at the field trip late looking for me, but when I finally showed up, my parents were standing at the front door furious with worry. Like I, I, and I got a week of in-school suspension for that. Um, it, and in high school, I had skipping class down to a science. Like, I can tell you more about that later, but, but, um, but sometimes I would skip one of my, like, educational classes and go to the school's ceramics class because the teacher there I knew liked me and wouldn't care and would let me just hang out in there. And, and so I'm not going to go into any detail, really, about skipping class because I don't want to give any kids like Richie here a pro tip because I was a pro, buddy. 
Um, but, uh, but stay in school. Stay in school. Do good. Work hard. But the truth is, it got so bad that by the middle of my senior year, I had skipped so many days of school that the assistant principal called me out of class one day. This is the middle of the school year. And uh, he, he kind of very coldly and factually told me that if I missed one more day of school, I wasn't going to be able to graduate high school that year. Backfire, right? Like, oh, man, you know? And, and, and so, and then he just, like, sent me back to class like everything was normal. And, and like, I should have seen it coming, but I was devastated, right? I was just like, oh, my gosh, like... Um, it was the middle of the school year. There was still like months and months and months of school left. Like, how was I supposed to go to school like every day of the week? Like, are you kidding me? Like, and my short-sighted attitude towards not wanting to go to school was, was now going to make me be there for a whole other year. Are you kidding me? Like, and so oddly enough in that moment, a resolve came over me, like this just like deep within my being resolve came over me, and it was kind of like an I'll show them moment, you know, <laughs> like have you ever had one of those, an I'll show them moment, and, and I decided that I was going to graduate that year, I was not spending another year in high school, which in retrospect was probably what the assistant principal was going for all along, kind of pulled like a Jedi mind trick on me there, but you know, but but for the rest of that school year, I didn't miss a day. I, didn't, I came to school sick. I stayed in school during testing when other students would leave early and take days off. I came to school after playing all night in my band. I even came to school when it was senior skip day. I had a resolve within me that I was not going to spend another year in high school, and I didn't. After I walked across the stage at our graduation, one of the teachers came and hugged me and just kind of whispered in my ear, you did it. You did it, right? And, and I had this unshakable resolve within me that I was not going to spend another year in high school. I just wasn't. And I didn't care about the personal consequences to me because in the not-so-distant future, it was going to be worth it, right? And so I tell you that story because our resolve of obedience to God no matter what others are saying or doing, will determine our victory or demise in the battle. Our resolve to be obedient to God is what will define our victory over the war within. This morning we're in week four of a sermon series called The War Within. And I've been truly thankful for each individual message of this series. And if you missed any of these messages, I highly recommend you go back to the podcast and check it out. But, but make no mistake about it. We are at war. There is a war going on within you. And so far we've talked about situations or things that can tempt us into, as Paul put it, not doing the good we want to do, but instead doing the evil we don't want. This war 
that we all face is at the center of the Christian walk. And the, and the temptations we're facing are enormous. Whether it's to conform our morals to our worldly culture that we're surrounded by or allowing the quest for money and lust of material things to rule our lives or allowing the media or other people to influence what we believe about our sexual identity, this war is for real. And the key to overcoming these temptations and not being transformed by the patterns of this world is to renew our minds to the goodness and faithfulness of God. Though at times that's a lot easier said than done, right? So I thought today we would take a look at at some guys from the Bible who faced enormous cultural adversity, but still had a deep-seated resolve in obedience to God. Their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah of the tribe of Judah. But you may know them better by their slave names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Would you turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, and just kind of open it there, and we're going to get to that in a a minute. But Daniel, chapter 3. I'm going to give you some some backstory on Daniel because it's really important to the context of where we're going today. So hang in there with me. At the beginning of the book of Daniel, the Israelites, some, some of the Israelites have been driven out of Judah and are now exiles in Babylon under a king named Nebuchadnezzar. The names of the book of Daniel are super fun, by the way. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was a really powerful king, and, and Babylon was, his, was the tool of God used to bring judgment upon Israel for years and years of disobedience. And this exile from Israel came in waves. And during one of the early waves, King Nebuchadnezzar decided it would be a good idea to take a small portion of the young Israelite people who were the best of the best from from Israel's south kingdom and reprogram them, reprogram them in the Babylonian ways. And reprogramming is a nice way to put what King Nebuchadnezzar was doing. Uh, He was really trying to obliterate their religious and cultural identities and slowly creating a willingness to participate in Babylonian religious and cultural events. Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah were among those taken in by the Babylonian king. And the first part of this reprogramming that Nebuchadnezzar's people did to these young exiles was to strip them of their Israelite names. There was Hananiah, which meant Yahweh is gracious. Hananiah meant Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is just a name for the Hebrew God, which we, which we worship. And And so Hananiah meant Yahweh is gracious, but he was renamed Shadrach, which meant command of Aku. This was referring to the Babylonian moon god. Then there was Mishael, which meant who is what God is. Who is what God is. And he was renamed the Babylonian name Meshach, which means who is like Aku? 
Again, referring to the moon god of Babylon. You see the pattern here? See the pattern? Last but not least, there was Ezariah, whose name meant Yahweh is a helper. Yahweh is a helper. This guy was given the name Abednego, which is frankly my favorite name of the three, but which, which meant serv- servant of the shining one. Abednego means servant of the shining one, which was referring to Nebo, the Babylonian god of wisdom. This renaming process was the first step in stripping these young Israelite men of their morals, beliefs, and identities. The goal of this was to get them to conform to Babylonian cultural, cultural and spiritual beliefs. And, and this was just the beginning of the process. It, it only got deeper from here. Nebuchadnezzar was trying to play the long game with these guys. And, and the king even allowed a portion of his food and wine from his, from his table to be given to these young exiles, right? But the young men quietly refused to, take, to, uh, to, part, to partner in any way with this. Instead, they ate mostly vegetables. And, and with this strict diet, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah continually reminded themselves in this time of testing, that they were the people of God in a foreign land and that they were depart, uh, dependent on God for their food and their very lives, not Nebuchadnezzar, not the king. So before we go any further with this story, I want you to take note at how relevant This is to us as Christ followers today. We live in a world right now that is not our homeland. We are sojourners living within a strange culture that is an, and there is an endless effort to get us to conform our morals and beliefs. This is happening everywhere you look, by, by the media, by politicians, by other religions, and I could go on all day. Uh, if, you're, if you're paying attention to this life, this is our life as Christ followers today. We are strangers in a foreign land. It blows my mind that people think the Bible is irrelevant because it is so relevant all the time. And, and so eventually King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a statue made up of all kinds of different metal. The statue was part gold and bronze and iron and so on, but the king's sorcerers and enchanters couldn't figure out what it meant. They couldn't figure out what the dream meant. And so this other guy named Daniel, who's also an Israelite exile, comes and God allows him to interpret this dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And long story short, the, the different metals in the statue represented the kingdoms of Babylon. And with each new king, Babylon would grow weaker and weaker over time until it's finally destroyed. And Nebuchadnezzar is wowed by Daniel's ability to interpret his dream, but he's also determined to keep that dream from coming true, right? So in response to this dream about the statue made of all different types of metal, he builds a statue made entirely of gold. This statue was 90 feet 
high and nine feet wide. And if you know your Old Testament, the location of the statue recalls the Tower of Babel, which is a whole other can of worms. But this statue was a symbol from Nebuchadnezzar that he was going to be the only king of Babylon. And just to make sure everybody knew it, he made a decree that everyone in his kingdom, whether you were from Babylon or not, was to fall face down and worship this statue whenever the palace music played. You guys tracking with me so far? Sort of? Okay. So everyone started doing this. Everybody started they, every time the palace music would play, they would begin to fall face down and would bow before this golden statue, except for guess who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course. And people connected to the king took notice. I think it's interesting that Shadrach and the boys weren't holding up protest signs or causing any kind of ruckus, but still people took notice that something was different about these men. So the people tell the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't bowing down to worship his golden statue, and the king obviously is furious. Shadrach and the boys are brought before an angry king who had promised to throw anyone who didn't worship this statue into a blazing furnace. I know I'm giving you a lot of info on the background of this story, but I hang in there. I really believe that it is pertinent to really understanding this next part of the story. And so there they are, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're standing before this furious king, powerful king, and the king begins to address them. Let's pick it up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That's that's a question, right? Nebuchadnezzar's challenging, right? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And watch this. Watch how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, there's that resolve that we're talking about. You see that resolve But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden idol that you have set up. 
That's resolve right there, right? Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, which is just another way of saying he had it heated as hot as it can go. And, it, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, the furnace, over, the furnace overheated, and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. See, a lot of us, that's where we think the story ends in our own personal life. If we take a stand against something we believe is wrong, we think the story, we automatically make the jump that the story is going to end there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You guys are quiet today, scare me a little. I've been in situations where I didn't stand up because I thought my story would end in the fire. But thankfully, this story doesn't end in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speak anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. See, in the end, the culture culture was trying to force compromise and change these men, but instead God used these men to change culture. You get that? You tracking with that? God used, the the culture was trying to to change these men, but because they took a stand, because they were unrelenting, God used them to change the culture. Now, does Nebuchadnezzar fully get it? No. He doesn't get it, and he's going to get his later on, you know. (laughs) He's going to get his later on, and that's fine, you know. I wish he got it right then, but he didn't. You know, he's still talking about burning people's houses down and all that kind of stuff. And so, but can you, I mean, can you imagine what that must have felt like for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You're standing before this really angry, slightly crazy, uh, powerful king, and he is commanding that you be obedient to him, even though it goes against everything you believe. How would your resolve to be obedient to the Lord stand up against that? My guess is some of you have probably been there. Whether it's your friends or at work or wherever, you've been put in a position where you were being asked to compromise what you believe and that there would be consequences if you didn't. Maybe you calmly, without any fuss, stand your ground and, and you watch as the king's face turns red and his blood begins to boil and the king commands the furnace heated as hot as it can go. Beads of sweat start to drip down your face as the heat just becomes almost oppressive. You feel the coarse ropes as they drag across your skin and they bind you up in every piece of clothing that you have just to make sure that you catch fire quickly. How would your resolve to be obedient to the Lord stand up then? Your mind begins to race as the soldiers pick you up and cast you into the fire, but instead the soldiers are consumed by it. You all of a sudden notice that somehow you don't feel the heat anymore. The ropes that once bound you have turned to ash. You're free and you're walking around in the midst of the fire unscorched. Then as your eyes begin to adjust, you realize you aren't alone. You aren't alone. And the truth is, you never were. You can just see him now. And you're not alone now. You're not alone now. No matter what your circumstances are. You may feel alone, but you are not alone. The Father walks with you. 
even in the midst of the fire. And in the case of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they had each other. Do you think they would have been able to stand so strong before the king, confident in the Lord, if, if it was just one of them by themselves alone? I don't know. Maybe. The people you surround yourself with, I want you to really hear this, family. The people you surround yourself with will either link arm in arm with you when the fire gets hot, or they will help cast you in it. The people you surround yourself with will either link arm in arm with you when the fire gets hot, or they will help you, or they will cast you in it. That's why being engaged in a church family is so important when it comes to the war within. And I don't know where you're at today. I'm just going to go ahead and invite the worship team up now. I don't know where you're at today, but I want to ask you, where have you compromised your resolve to be obedient to God? Was it when you felt the tension of the world around you aggressively saying something was right when you knew deep in your heart that it wasn't? Maybe it was when the culture around you tried to strip you of your identity and make you compromise who you were made to be in Christ. Or maybe it was when you felt the heat begin to rise in a situation or a relationship in your life and you felt like you had no other choice than to give in to compromise? Was it when someone stood before you and asked you to make an impossible choice or you faced impossible circumstances? If that's you, If any of those things resonate with you, I want to remind you that the Lord has a long storied history of doing the impossible. And he will meet you in the fire if you take the first step in obedience. Because our resolve to be obedient to God is what will define our victory over the war within. Because when you walk obedient, side by side with God in the fire, the fire will have no power over you. You will not be burned or even singed. You won't even smell like smoke. Because God has already made a promise to his obedient ones in Isaiah 43. It goes like this, and this is the Lord. I believe this is just the Lord speaking to you right now, speaking to your heart right now. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall, 
They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. That's the Lord's promise to his obedient ones. So, I want us to just, if everybody could stand right now. We don't always, we always have a a prayer response time after service. We don't always do a response time here within the service. But I feel like this message is a call to arms. It's a call to arms. And so, Wherever you're at in your life, if this message is resonating with you and you need encouragement, you need strength, you need boldness and bravery to stay the course and to stay right with God and to stay obedient in our foreign land that we live in right now, I want to pray over you guys. And so if you're, if you're here this morning and you're like, I need an extra dose of prayer and encouragement, uh, I want you to just come stand right here because I want to pray over you. All right here. Jesus. So I want to lift my hands and pray over you, friends. I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to say a section that I want you to repeat after me. I'll let you know when that is. Father, we are not of this world system, but we have a heavenly inheritance reserved for us in heaven. And so we pray that we will no longer be conformed into the pattern of this world and squeezed into its mold, but day by day be increasingly transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Help us to take every thought captive, And to surrender our hearts and lives to you in true obedience and godly humility. May we, who are your children, be drawn closer to each other and to you as you do a good work in each of our lives. Build us up into a spiritual house where Christ is the cornerstone. And may your indwelling Holy Spirit prompt and guide us, encourage and train. Now I want you to repeat after me. Lord, I surrender. All I am to you today. And pray that I may walk in newness of love and humble obedience all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. 
God, you are doing a mighty work within us, Lord. When the fires tempt us, Lord. When there are times where we can't see where you are, God. Father, let us have the courage to stay obedient to you. For you walk alongside us whether we can see you or not. Jesus, have your way in our lives. Fear is just a liar running out of breath. I love that line, thank you, Lord. Give us that reminder. Cancel any assignment of the enemy to disrupt our obedience to you. Father, when we feel bound, when we feel the heat rising, Lord, let it draw us closer to you. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. i like to call the ushers forward now. So, Father, we Lord, we believe that everything that we have is already yours. So we give back to you what is already yours now, Lord. We bring before you what is already yours. Lord, multiply it. Send it out to our neighbors and our nations, Lord. Use it to increase your kingdom and build your kingdom in Redlands, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.